when you start to see your worth, you'll start seeing that it's harder to stay around people who don't. That quote is anonymous. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I'm your host, Darrell McLean. Today is Wednesday, May 20th, 2020, and let's get into our show. In yet another assault on checks and balances, President Trump has abruptly removed the Department of Transportation's independent watchdog late on Friday. The same night, he announced plans to fire the department's inspector general at the DOT and acting inspector general overseeing a high-profile investigation against the secretary chaos's alleged favoritism, benefiting from her husband's Senator Mitch McConnell. Prospects has now been replaced with a political appointee from within the agency. The acting attorney general's ouster calls into questions the future of Child McConnell's investigation over critical oversight and whether the watchdog was dismissed for unearthing damaging information. The move is the latest salvo of Trump's assault on oversight, and it looks like the president made sure to cover all his bases to block accountability, not only nominating an IG to succeed the experienced watchdog who held the post, but also demoting the acting AG who was investigating Cho and installing a political appointee to serve in his place while the Senate considers a permanent replacement. To make matters worse, Trump picked to be the new acting IG. Howard Skip Elliott already has a job overseeing the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, an office he will now be in charge of policing. Trump's decision to sideline DOT acting IG Mitch Beam, who has 17 years of experience as with the IOG, was lost in the shuffle of outrage following the announcements that Trump planned to fire a State Department IG and for potential conflict of interest. The most high profile is the DLT OIG's review of allegations that Secretary Chow gave Senator Mitch McConnell and constituents special treatment and helped steer millions of federal dollars to Kentucky as he's now facing low approval ratings and a tough re-election bid. As Senator Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, was integral to the Senate's consideration of Howard Elliott's nomination to lead the PM PHMSA. Now McConnell will also be instrumental in Eric Sulkin's potential confirmation as permanent IG. Sulkins is the Justice Department trial lawyer involved in some hot-button immigration and civil rights cases. These moves will leave oversight of child McConnell investigation in the hands of Trump administration officials who McConnell has effectively endorsed. In the case of Elliott's and Secretary Chow maintains authority to fire him from PHMSA. A crew has pointed out before the situation poses huge conflict of interest. How can American people expect transparency and accountability when the watchdogs must pass a loyalty test from the president and be approved by officials impacted by their investigations? And that's some very good uh, reporting coming from the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Investigations. As Trump gets better at uh, recognizing the system, he's going to figure out who he can and how he can get rid of people who are critical. Last week, of course, everybody was upset because of the firing of another State Department official, 
another attorney general who was seen or was now known to be investigating Secretary of State. Um, Warren and Mnuchin spar over Treasury $500 billion bailout fund. Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin sparred Tuesday over the Treasury's Department handling of a $500 billion emergency loan program to help companies hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic. Speaking at a Senate Banking Committee hearing, Warren repeatedly pressed Mnuchin to require companies to keep all workers on board if they take money from the fund, which was part of the $2.2 trillion CARES Act signed into law late March. Congress passed the CARES Act and put a nearly half a trillion dollars into corporate bailout money in your hands, Warren told Mnuchin. The law gives Treasury and the Federal Reserve Authority to write the rules for who gets the money. So does this mean that you will require companies to, that receive the bailout money from the taxpayers to keep their workers on the payroll, she added. Mnuchin replied that jobs were his top priority but avoided answering Warren directly. These specifics were negotiated on a bipartisan basis very clearly in each one of those programs, and it is our intent to fulfill both the spirit and the details of the law, he said. I'm sorry, Secretary Mnuchin, that's not quite right, Warren shot back. Nothing in that law had given the Treasury Department authority on how to implement this portion of the CARES Act. Mnuchin said the funds came with strict restrictions for companies receiving the funds, including limits on executive compensations and bans on stock dividends and buybacks, as well as a promise for businesses to make their best effort to support jobs. The $500 billion in emergency economic stabilization funds includes money set aside for the airline industry, but it's only a handful of restrictions and how the rest should be used to help companies and local governments. The Treasury Department has set up several lending facilities to distribute the funds, including the Main Street Lending Program for businesses with up to 10,000 employees, a facility to help municipalities with cash flow to two corporate credit facilities. Warren accused Mnuchin of providing easy lending terms to help his friends on Wall Street while leaving regular people in the dust. Senator Warren, I think that's a very unfair characterization on these issues. We are we we're discussed with both Republicans and Democrats at the time, Mnuchin replied. Warren also asked Mnuchin to ensure executives who lie about the condition of their company to secure taxpayer dollars and be held criminally liable, something Mnuchin said he would look into. A Minneapolis man attacked TV anchor over his perceived sexual orientation, police are now reporting. Matt Belanger was struck in the eye by something allegedly hurled by Vinnie Jerome Williams, who was charged with assault and harassment. Police say the Minneapolis man attacked a local television anchor last week because of his actual or perceived sexual orientation. Vinnie Jerome Williams, 39, was charged on Friday with third-degree assault and harassment with the intent to injure after police said he threw something at KSTP-TV journalist Matt Belanger. Belanger was walking across a light rail station in Minneapolis on May 12th when he was struck in the eye, according to the complaint filed by the Hempfin County Attorney's Office. Williams was detained shortly after officers viewed surveillance footage that clearly showed the assault. According to the complaint after the arrest, William allegedly began a profane rant in the police cruiser and made statements including he had assaulted 
Bellinger because he was perceived that vi the victim was a homosexual, the, com this, the complaint states. As a result, Boger could lose his vision permanently in his left eye, and his physician has advised him to stay home and recover to avoid activity, including driving or going to work. The victim is required to remain seated upright at all times and is only supposed to move in extensive situation, the uh, complaint states. Each of the charges against Williams carries a maximum of five years in prison and up to a $10,000 fine. Williams' lawyer's Christopher Campaign did not immediately respond when request, uh, questioning. On it's Matt Belanger. On Tuesday morning, I was on the Nicollet Mall light rail platform in downtown Minneapolis waiting to catch the train I would normally take to work. And a man who I do not know suddenly from close range threw something at my face and it had enough force to cause some damage to my left eye. And that's why I'm wearing the eye patch here to protect my eye as it heals. Metro Transit police have made an arrest in the case. And I just wanted to post on Facebook here saying how, how deeply grateful I am for all of the notes and messages that you've been sending to me from people all across Minnesota. They've been coming in from across the country, in fact. It, it's very comforting to me to hear all of that and to be reminded of the people who are thinking about me as I work through what happened and, and focus on my recovery and my healing right now. The impact to my eye did cause some internal bleeding that does need to heal before I'm going to be able to go back to work. And I do expect to make a full recovery, but I also need to listen to doctors right now and to stay home and to, to keep, take it easy, frankly, uh, so that my eye can heal to prevent any more damage from happening and, and perhaps even uh, damage to my vision long term. So it's a very sensitive time and I, I do need to stay here and listen to them. The, uh, I, it's hard honestly, to be at home, sidelined right now at a time when our viewers, I feel, need journalists on TV, perhaps now more than ever. Uh, once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your kindness, for all of your prayers. They mean so much. I miss you all, and uh, I'll be back very soon. Now, that was a video he posted to his personal Facebook, and um, he will be in our thoughts and prayers. And, of course, it is a shame that in 2020, uh, journalists are being attacked by strangers for their perceived sexual orientation. Um, the IRS is recalling more employees starting on June the 1st. So that is something that is uh, a big update. The IRS is requiring some of its workforce to get back to their jobs after having been evacuated at the end of March due to the coronavirus pandemic. The IRS Commissioner Chuck Reckett said on Tuesday, the first phase will begin with non-teleworking employees in three states, Texas, Utah, and Kentucky, who have been told to report to work on June the 1st. Going forward, employees who can't work remotely will be recalled in states and localities where the coronavirus-related restrictions have been relaxed. Reading said in an email to employees on Tuesday, which also laid out safety procedures that the agency intends to implement in regions that remain closed, managers will assess the need for volunteers to return to the office to perform mission-critical and non-portable work. In some situations, depending on the responses from volunteers, we may need to recall employees to support the mission, Reddick added. 
The mandatory recall follows the request for volunteers over the recent weeks as the IRS began to slowly starting to resume more normal operations under the federal and local healthy and safety guidelines. The agency faces the July 15 deadlines for tax filing and rated cited an expanding backlog of work at our offices and campus location. It has also been processing millions of economic stimulus payments and implementing tax provisions of the coronavirus response package is passed by Congress. Some taxpayers and other industries have urged the IRS to further extend the tax filing deadline, which was originally April 15th, but Reddit said last week there was no plans to do that. Over the next several weeks, we would continue to ask employees who work is not portable to return to their post of duty, Reddit said. Our business unit leaders are evaluating their needs and will make decisions about how employees are needed in each location to clear out, clear out the backlog of work and safely resume operations. So the IRS is going back, so it is only a matter of time before other municipalities start to do the same. And um, we will see what happens in these small office spaces. Uh, a new study shows that holding Wisconsin's April election made the COVID-19 crisis worse. The state of Wisconsin plowed ahead with this in-person election last month despite many clear dangers. A new study suggests exactly what many feared, a direct link between voting in person and spread of COVID-19. Republicans have asserted that there was no problem with Wisconsin holding an election in the middle of a pandemic. State lawmakers plowed forward with the April election suggesting it was totally safe despite health warnings from Joe Biden and Donald Trump, did not call for the election to be postponed. A GOP congressman recently insisted, if you look at Wisconsin, I think you see a spike or anything in coronavirus cases. That's anybody has said was particularly significant related to the fact that they had been voting. Meanwhile, President Trump has been criticizing the larger push to vote by mail, but a new study from the University of Wisconsin at Ball State University research tell that the very opposite story. They say we find the statistically and economically significant association between in-person voting and the spread of COVID-19 two to three weeks after the Wisconsin election. Furthermore, we find the con consolidation of political polling locations a relatively fewer absentee voters increase positive ratings rates two to three weeks after the election. Wisconsin continues with higher levels of in-person voting per polling location led to increases in weekly positive rates of COVID-19 tests. Furthermore, counties with higher absentee voting participation had lower rates of detecting COVID-19 two or three weeks after the election. This finding echoes earlier research showing a possible link between COVID-19 rates and messages that tell the public everything is safe. The Wisconsin study emerges at a critical moment as House Democrats are right now pushing for legislation to fund the expansion of the vote by mail system. And President Trump and his Republican allies are fighting these efforts, manufacturing concerns that are complete BS. Vote by mail systems have not been plagued by fraud and do not prefer one party over another. On the same day Wisconsin data was released, Democratic Representative Joe Nunes and Dean Phillips published a new op-ed arguing that vote-by-mail systems in their respective states prove exactly why we need these systems all across the country. Utah, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, and Colorado 
a mix of red and blue and purple states currently conduct their elections entirely by mail, while 28 other state gives of voters options to do so. Contrary to what some people would like you to believe, voting by mail is neither partisan nor at risk of fraud. Mail balloting has several advantages. It's most cost-effective, convenient, ensures a paper trail, and increases turnout where it has been widely implemented. Most importantly, it is the only way to ensure robust voter participation without risking the health and well-being of voters and election officials. Conversely, Wisconsin's primary election a few weeks ago was deemed by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel as the most undemocratic election in the state's history, which leaves us with two options. Do we want to be a nation that reduces the number of polling places and forces citizens to wait in long lines in early winter in the midst of a pandemic, or the one that makes voting safer, fairer, and more accessible during a national health emergency? We believe the answer is clear. And that was uh, just a bit of what they wrote in that op-ed. And that was reporting courtesy of Jacobin. Some Kroger workers are receiving letters from the payroll department that they are going to have to pay back money that they received as part of the coronavirus, I guess, hazard pay. Uh, People have been posting it online. I saw one letter that said, as you are aware, you were overpaid for emergency funding in gross amount of $461 during the time frame of March the 1st, 2020 to the current. Please see options to repay. And then it has one payment option of $461, three payment options of $153.87, or five payment options of $92.32. So we will see what happens with that. I don't know if it was a actual overpayment or if they are saying specific employees were overpaid uh, more aid than they were supposed to get. Uh, Texas judge rules all Texans can apply to vote by mail. A federal judge in Texas on Tuesday says all Texans can apply to vote by mail during the coronavirus pandemic. U.S. District Judge Fred Berry sided with Texas Democratic Party saying that to follow existing state's absentee voting rules in which you have to be 65 or older or have a state of disability would put a unconstitutional and illegal burdens on Texas voters. Americans now seek life without fear of a pandemic. Liberty to choose their leaders in an environment of free of disease and the pursuit of happiness without undue restrictions, Berry wrote in his order. There are now some among us who would if they could nullify those aspirational ideas to return to not only and not so halogen and not so thrilling days of yesteryear of the divine right of kings, he wrote. The Democrats' argument was that vote by mail and age requirement violates the 26th Amendment, which states that voters of legal age can't be discriminated against by any form of age restriction. The state argued that Barry should wait until the entirety of the case had been heard and ruled on a state district court. To this point last week, the 14th Court of Appeals of Texas upheld a previous ruling by the Texas state judge that deemed mail-by voting acceptable during a pandemic. 
Texas Attorney General Ken Patterson then wrote to the Texas Supreme Court requesting that the rule and the interpretation of the state's election law and the disability definition. On Friday, the Lone Star State's highest court sided with Paxton, granting a stay of the initial ruling until the case could be fully appealed. The court has set oral arguments in the case Wednesday, and we will see how it goes. Texas Democratic Party chairman described Barry's ruling as a victory for all Texans. A leaked Pentagon memo on Tuesday revealed that top Defense Department officials have been planning for the possibility that the military could be dealing with a, quote, globally persistent coronavirus pandemic well into 2021. The memo was obtained by task and purpose, and it also warns of the, quote, real possibility that a vaccine for COVID-19 won't be available until, quote, at least the summer of 2021. The memo reads, quote, we have a long path ahead with the real possibility of a resurgence of COVID-19. Therefore, we must now refocus our attention on resuming critical missions, increasing levels of activity, and making necessary preparation should a significant resurgence of COVID-19 occur later this year. Thank you for tuning in to the morning edition of the show today. I uh, see you guys when I do the show this afternoon. The show is funded, fully funded by listener support. And if you lo- would like to support the show, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the Jerome McLean Show. That's www.patreon.com slash the Jerome McLean Show. See you this afternoon.